When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Hello and welcome in to another episode of The Hard Foul. I'm your host, Pearson Fowler, and with me, as always, to break down a lot of breaking news from the world of basketball, specifically college basketball. Did a little bit of NBA last time. We're going to keep it to college and mostly South Carolina here. As always, from GamecockCentral.com is Colin Taylor. And Colin, we're recording this on a Tuesday, not on a Thursday, because you're getting ready to move officially. You were getting things in order the last time we did a podcast. And now you're just a couple days away from moving. So how far behind are you in the moving process? Believe it or not, I am ahead of schedule. So we're living, we are, because my fiance would absolutely murder me if she walked in to help me move. And um, I was behind in packing. Been there, done that, uh, got the t-shirt. and um, Got the t-shirt. I was I murdered by, by my fiance for dragging my yeah. feet. Yes, um, and do not want to relive that again. Mm-hmm. So I started packing about a week, week and a half ago, getting loaded together. And um, it's paid differently enough. Being proactive has helped me in my life. That's uh, that's incredible. And uh, not that I'm sure you needed any other confirmation that you were making a good decision this fall, October, right? When you officially tie the knot. But to have someone that's going to help you be proactive in a move, like that's uh, that's really invaluable because there's nothing worse than two procrastinators being together and then all of a sudden you're behind the eight ball. Although... Although, a wise man once told me, and this was my freshman year roommate, and this has stuck with me forever because he and I were both procrastinators, and we were, um, I, I guess you say, really bad influences on each other when it came to you know finishing papers and things like that, and especially once he told me uh, his, his sort of catchphrase for life, which was, if you wait until the last minute, it only ever takes a minute. And I was like, oh, no, this is the beginning of the end for me. But, um, yeah, so... You're making point- a lot of sense there. <laughs> But point of that story, whether it's a fiancé or a roommate or whoever it is, find someone that can uh, help you be proactive if you are a procrastinator. But, um, but no, that's, that's, uh, that's very exciting. Congratulations. And next time we'll talk, you'll be in a new home. And you said you're moving closer to downtown Columbia. Is that correct? Yeah, moving down closer to downtown. Um, Going to be living near but not with my fiancé until we obviously, mm-hmm. I said not in October. Very good. Well, yeah, that'll be a lot easier for you to get to uh, all the press conferences and things that I I guess hopefully we will be going to sooner rather than later. Everything is still digital right now, Zoom meetings, phone calls, things like that. You and I are still sadly apart uh, participating, uh, not participating, but still continuing to to social distance. I was going to say participating in social distancing like it's something we're all excited about and wanting to do, but we're still observing uh, those social courtesies by, by keeping our distance from one another, and hopefully you and I will see each other in person soon enough. But in the meantime... Uh, this will have to suffice, um, and especially with as much news as we have had in uh, the last couple of weeks since we did a podcast, including the NBA. 
setting a new date for when you can withdraw your name from draft consideration, a new signee for South Carolina, and the hiring of a new assistant coach. Uh, we'll start with the new signee. Uh, his name is Jacoby Wright, uh, and he's a guy that's that's got a lot of pedigree in terms of the guys that he has played for and been around, uh, just a lot of basketball IQ, a lot of basketball acumen, experience in, in terms of his just uh, his young playing days, and now he brings he's hopefully going to bring some of that to South Carolina. Uh, but, Colin, walk me through the recruitment of uh, Jacoby Wright and what kind of player South Carolina is getting. Yeah, um, this has kind of been going on for about a year now. Um, Jacoby obviously first came on campus. I want to say in October um, for a football game to watch practice, kind of do the, the typical um, visit things, visit with the coaching staff, all that. Um, loved it. Decided to come back, came back uh, a couple times during the season. Um, South Carolina saw him a couple times during the season, scouted him, um, and then offered him in April, and it didn't take him long after that to commit and then obviously publicly commit. Um, what was that, Sunday on Father's Day. So uh, he, it's been kind of building for a while. I give a lot of credit to Bruce Shingler for finding him, building that relationship with his family and him and um, that was one of the biggest reasons why Jacoby obviously committed to South Carolina was because of Bruce Shingler and, and because of the, the bond that he was able to build with the staff. And, uh, in terms of what they're getting, uh, it's it's kind of a prototypical Frank point guard, um, facilitates the offense really well, is very efficient, um, isn't too flashy, can shoot the ball well, um, averaged 18 points or 17.4, I want to say it was, on a really, really good high school team last year with other really good players and ran their offense well, played good defense, and is a guy that fit is so important to Frank. And when you talk about fit, he kind of really fits what they do. And um, he's good now and then can develop into someone that's even better um, as he gets into Carolina and obviously gets into the strength and conditioning program and continues his development. Yeah, we always know that, or obviously know that Frank is always, you know, kind of looking for a specific type of guy and I mean you look at the offer list from Jacoby Wright and it's you know it's not necessarily Kansas and Duke and North Carolina but as you mentioned Frank knows what he wants and you also factor in I I think no small part of it is you mentioned the relationship of being coached by a guy like BJ Jackson who's coached a couple other NBA guys throughout his career um, and just kind of what you pick up being in that kind of environment I, I think is important especially again the way that Frank likes to coach the way that Frank likes players to play um I I think I don't know if we've talked about it on this podcast or off the podcast or whatever, but it seems like maybe even more so in basketball than any other sport, baseball, football, whatever, it seems like recruiting for fit and recruiting, like in some ways even like based on like personality or style of play and things like that is more of a factor than just go out and get this guy. Um, because like, I guess just for example, I think there's a very realistic chance and you can speak a little bit more, uh, you kind of touched on a skill set there already, but just what Jacoby will bring to how Frank specifically wants to play. You know, this, this like, as a three-star guy with, you know, offers from places like Charlotte, College of Charleston, DePaul, Elon, places like that, might end up being a better fit for South Carolina than somebody that's, you know, more highly ranked and, you know, has more offers from more high-profile schools, which is not to say that, you know, you shouldn't try to get more talented guys. But I, I think that what Frank Martin has demonstrated, especially in the last couple of years, is based on what he wants to do, and maybe maybe this is more South Carolina specific than basketball specific, but I just think fit is incredibly important. Yeah, and I think it's easy to look at offer lists. And with Jacoby, you look at his, and it doesn't necessarily blow you away. Um, there's obviously a couple reasons for that. Uh, I think he was vastly under recruited, but 
with, with South Carolina in particular, Frank could give two rips about what how many stars you have or who who's offered you or who's done this and who's done that. He doesn't get sucked into all that stuff, and that trickles down to his staff. And I mean, with Jacoby, it's a guy that they they don't put a lot of stock into. Well, well, he's like the, a top fifty player. He's you know one of the best point guards this or that in the country. They they look at a guy and says he does the things well that we want him to do. He can do them better. We can develop him. And they trust their instincts. They trust their development skills. And and, and their track record kind of speaks for themselves. For the guys that stay in the program, um, they tend to have pretty good years when they're juniors and seniors. So um, with Jacoby, I mean, he kind of fits what they want to do. Uh, he fits well. Um, he's an in-state kid, which I don't think is very um, – has been talked about nearly enough. But in-state kid who I think if he – spent if coronavirus didn't cancel the live periods this summer um would easily have seen more power five high major schools whatever you want to call them hop into the mix so let's let's spend a little bit more time on that this is not a detour that i was necessarily expecting to take but it's it's one that's interesting because this is another area that i think basketball recruiting greatly differs specifically from football recruiting where it is so important to win your state and you have such an advantage with those guys where you're from, by and large, doesn't really seem to matter. I mean, you look at the composition of South Carolina's rosters last year. I mean, you have guys from Canada, you have guys from Estonia, you have guys from all over the country. It doesn't really matter that the, the I, I guess, locality of recruiting doesn't seem to be as significant a factor, um, either for the players or for teams. And yet, and I mean, this is obviously for a separate reason, but when people talk about Zion Williams and when people talk about John Moran, people around here get so upset because it's like, man, how could you let these in-state kids get away? And like one with Zion, it's like, okay, you know what? You you were probably never really, really going to get Zion because he always wanted to go to Duke and he's like the most incredible college basketball player that I've ever seen in my life. Uh, for people that are older than me, that's probably true too. Uh, you know, basically, I mean, I, I don't know how far back, how far back you have to go to, to find a, a player that was as dominant and as exciting and well-liked as Zion. So the point is that was always going to be a long shot. I don't care if he's from Spartanburg. I don't care, you know, if he's, I don't care if he grew up the son of two professors at the University of South Carolina. That was always going to be a long shot to get a guy like that to come to Columbia. But people put such an emphasis on that. They make it seem like it was so uniquely devastating to knock at Zion, to knock at Ja, which, again, is a slightly different story as a guy that I think really burst onto the scene in college and then has had, of course, an incredible rookie year in the NBA. But, you know, how much how much stock should we put in that, given that it doesn't seem to be as integral in the fabric of recruiting in basketball as it does in football but Jacoby Wright is an in-state kid and, and you're right people aren't talking about that should we be talking about that more or or is it kind of a kind of a non-factor like I felt like it was with John ja and with Zion yeah college college recruiting is so weird in that regard because you want to win your state and South Carolina has been better about over the last two classes than they had in previous classes but you want to win your state but in the grand scheme, sometimes it doesn't matter. I mean, a lot of these kids go to prep school anyway, so they're away from home to begin with. Um, so I don't think the in-state card is necessarily as big of a deal as it is for maybe football, uh, especially football, and, and to a degree baseball. But, I mean, if you have good players in your state, you want to be able to pull them in, you know? If you have, and so South Carolina's had a handful of really good players come to the state, and you look at their roster, and 
they're able to kind of land them. I know Seventh Woods took a while to come back to South Carolina. And honestly, and, and this is a detour I didn't know we'd be taking either, but at South Carolina, you're in such a weird spot because sometimes, especially for basketball, you had kids that grew up watching North Carolina and Duke and in, in, in South Carolina and Columbia, Charleston, Greenville, wherever, you had them growing up to be Duke or North Carolina fans because those were the biggest brands of basketball when they were growing up. And, I mean, they're still two of the biggest brands of basketball. So South Carolina's in a really weird spot with that because even if they're an in-state kid, their dream school might not be South Carolina or Clemson or any of the other in-state schools that would be in North Carolina or Duke. And if they're good enough to go there and get an offer from there, I mean, you're fighting an uphill battle at that point. So, um I'm going to give a lot Franken and Chuck and Bruce and then now obviously Will Bailey, Perry Clark before that. You look at the roster they have now with Trey Hannibal and Seventh Woods and um, Jalen McCreary who played one year in South Carolina uh, at Legacy where Jacoby obviously plays now. Um, and Mike Green and their two incoming signees with Patrick Uriel and Javon Benson and now Jacoby Wright for the 2021 class they're doing a really good job of getting some of the higher profile guys in this 2021 group. And, you know, they're still recruiting a few in state and they got even more to come in the 2022 group that they're recruiting as well. Well, and yeah. you mentioned Carolina doing a better job of that in the last couple of years, three guys on the roster right now from the state of South Carolina, or at least with hometowns that say, you know, South Carolina on the roster. That's obviously Trey Hannibal, uh, seventh woods, whom you mentioned, and then Mike green being the other guy from Myrtle beach, but you look at it, I mean, like last year, it's basically just Trey Hannibal because Mike Green was not a regular rotation guy and Seventh Woods was uh, still finishing out his career. Or I guess he was sitting out. Uh, he had just finished yeah. his career in North Carolina, transferred in, was sitting out last year. So on the roster, but not actually playing. So it's a, it's a very, very small percentage. And I think that's, you know, that, that does bother some people that, you know, really. And, and I mean, like you said, it is important to, to win your state. And I think a lot of people put emphasis on that and people are kind of used to thinking about it in like football terms, but it's it's not like South Carolina is is worse because they don't have like six guys from the state of South Carolina. Part of it's also like, you know, how good is whatever state you're in in basketball? And I don't follow basketball recruiting enough to know where South Carolina is. Is it one of the better ones? Is it one of the worst? Is it sort of middle of the pack in terms of the, the talent that they produce on a regular basis? And then the other part of it, like you mentioned, is, is just like how many guys actually go from high school straight into college and how many guys will take a prep school route or, you know, I mean, I guess Juco, we don't see as much of that, um, especially compared to like, you know, baseball, but it, it is a little bit more complicated. And um, I guess buried in all that is, is a question that I'm putting you on the spot. Cause I, I didn't tell you that I was going to ask you this, but where, where is South Carolina like nationally, if you had to put a, a range of like set, like plus or minus seven, where would you say South Carolina is in terms of the high school basketball talent that it produces? I mean, it's not, you know, New York. It's not in, you know, Illinois or Indiana or anything like that. But it's probably a top, you know, 25 in the upper half, I would say, of high school basketball in the country. Just seeing it and, and being there in, in person. And uh, I'm probably a little biased because, you know, I, I see it a little bit more than I see Florida or Georgia or wherever. Mm -hmm. um, but, I mean, I would say that it's probably up there, um, just top half, top 20, top 25, top 30 maybe. Um, and you look at some of the – there's been a lot of good talent that's come out of here, even if it didn't go to South Carolina. Um, 
whether that's you Zion and job, but Bryce McGowan is really good for 2021 and he's going to Florida state. And, um, Trey Jackson went to uh, Iowa state last year and had a really good freshman season. So, um, there's talent to mine. Now, obviously you have to go out and get it and, you know, recruit it well, but if you don't, I'm a big proponent of, does not matter where the good players come from as long as they're good players you know mm-hmm. they're on a full scholarship regardless i mean it's not like baseball where you have partial scholarships these guys regardless if they're from you know timbuktu or columbia still get their scholarship paid in full so you know some of the best players on south carolina's team right now i mean Trey hannibal's a south carolina kid but aj lawson isn't Keyshawn bryan isn't just a mania will the vec um Jalen McCreary is from Georgia, played in South Carolina one year. I mean, these guys are still good, you know, mm-hmm. just because the driver's licenses don't say South Carolina on it doesn't mean good. But um, if you got a guy in your backyard, I mean, I know the staff wants to recruit South Carolina. That's their primary focus. Um, but if things don't work out there, then they've shown the ability to go elsewhere outside of the state and pull in pretty good talent as well. Speaking of driver's licenses, uh, did Mike Kotsar and does A.J. Lawson have a driver's license? That's a very good question. You know, I honestly got have never asked. <laughs> it's a very good question. Um, I've, asked, I've asked Mike about his shoe size, about riding on airplanes, about everything else in the world, but I've never asked him if he had a driver's license. Hmm. That's. Uh, I mean, he probably didn't need one. I mean, everything's right here on yeah. on campus. I, I say here. I'm basically on campus. I, I walk five minutes and get to campus, but... Um, I'd be curious. Do you do you know uh, what Mike is up to at this moment? Um, obviously, like you know, workouts and and things for prospects after basketball have kind of been halted, or at least uh, you're kind of resigned to your own your own quarters, wherever those may be. But um, I, I know you talked to Mike a little bit before the shutdown, like just after the season, or like right, kind of like right during the shutdown, because it was right uh, yep. right after everybody got back from Nashville, so as things were shutting down, but. Um, what, what would you, uh, if you don't know specifically, what would you guess Mike's doing right now at the end of June? I think he's still rehabbing his shoulder a little bit. Um, that's kind of a longer process and, um, he signed with an agent good for Mike and we'll see. I think he's trying to line up something maybe in a Euro league or something like that to get home a little bit closer to family. Very good. Very good. Um, all right. Well, we'll, we'll, we'll get another, uh, Mike Coates, our update once the Euro league starts. Cause, uh, I'm sure we'll be tearing it up over there. Cause he's got the... He's got the perfect skill set for the European game, you know, the big that can, you know, do more of the skillful things as opposed to, you know, just, you know, banging with your back to the basket and things like that. But um, nice little random Mike Kotsar detour there. I want to get back one more question about the uh, roster composition for South Carolina as we talk. Again, this is all sort of a, a spinoff of Jacoby Wright, who is a, a local kid from Greenville, another South Carolina kid. So bringing the total of the, I guess, by the 2021 roster, Seventh Woods will have cycled out, so you'll still have three on the team. But if I told you that Carolina could have the exact same talent level on its roster, but have seven kids from South Carolina instead of three, would you say that that was, that that is better? Doesn't make a difference. Like truly does not matter or worse. I don't think it really matters. Um, I know a lot of people listening um, because South Carolinians and of which I am one have a lot of pride in their state, but, um, I know a lot of them would probably want to have 13 guys in the same talent level from South Carolina. It just doesn't work like that. And um, I really don't think it matters. Good players, like I said, I mean, it doesn't matter what your driver's license says. If you can ball, you can ball. So mm-hmm. um, 
it's just you want to recruit and you want to keep relationships in the state, just like what Muschamp said. I mean, you know, you want to win the state, but if you, you can't or you don't, then there's plenty of other talent elsewhere in basketball. It's not necessarily geographically centered as, as it is in maybe football or baseball. Right. Well, let's say uh, Jacoby Wright, again, a local kid, three-star point guard, combo guard. Um, you kind of touched on his skill set there, and obviously, you know, Frank Martin's going to – it sounds like going to use him more in that uh, in that point guard role. So come in in 2021 and learn from Jermaine Cousinard for a year, and then Jermaine will go to the NBA, and then Jacoby Wright will take over, and Carolina will be amidst uh, a run of five straight tournaments. I don't know. Uh, that's, that's that's how I'm playing it out. That's, that's what the point of recruiting is, right, just to get optimistic about what the – what the future could be. But there you go. Jacoby Wright, the latest commit for the class of 2021 for South Carolina. Uh, the other big piece of breaking news from the last couple weeks, uh, since the last time we did this podcast, South Carolina has hired a new assistant coach. We talked about what exactly Frank Martin was going to be looking for throughout that process, and he had some surgery. Uh, what, ankle surgery, right? Or knee surgery? Ankle? Yeah, whole knee replacement. Oh, knee replacement. Okay. All right. And he's, I, I guess, doing all right if he's already gone out and hired a new assistant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we got to talk to him last week, and he was – in weirdly good spirits, so the first couple of days were rough, um, but he uh, he's powered through and he's actually in a pretty good spot. He powered through. He made some phone calls and he went and hired Will Bailey, who has spent the last couple of years at St. Louis. Uh, what do you know about their pre-existing relationship? How Frank Martin found Will Bailey, landed on Will Bailey, uh, and how Will Bailey ended up here in Columbia? Yeah, so I mean, they've had some kind of they never coached on the same staff together, but have some connections. Um, weirdly enough, Will Bailey was at UAB as a player when Andy Kennedy was an assistant there. And then Andy Kennedy obviously takes a job in Cincinnati with Frank and Bob Huggins. So they have a mutual connection there. Uh, they both both coached in the A-10 together uh, at different times. And, and so they have a connection there. And uh, Frank's always kind of kept up with him and, he was on the short list, and things just kind of progressed from there. And it's a good, it's a good fit for South Carolina, and it's a chance for Bailey to jump up and go from assistant at St. Louis in the A10 to now, obviously, um, jumping into the SEC and able to recruit at a little bit higher level. So, what do you know about Bailey in, in terms of his skill set? Obviously, we mentioned last podcast that to be a basketball assistant, you kind of have to be able to do everything. It's it's a lot of scouting. It's obviously everything you're doing in practice. It's a lot of recruiting and you know developing those relationships. But is he more someone that's more known for his recruiting? Someone that's more known for his schematic prowess, or uh, someone that's just kind of a, a generally well-rounded guy? I mean, he's pretty well-rounded. If I'm putting you know one or two things ahead of the others, I would probably say he's he's better at development slash scouting together, and then. You know, he's still a good recruiter. I'm not saying he's not, but he's he's elite at the other two and um, good recruiter. Uh, anytime you come from a, a, a mid-major like St. Louis and you've won 23 games, I want to say back-to-back seasons or 20-plus games back-to-back seasons, you know how to develop and you know how to coach. Even if you're an assistant, you know how to develop and you know how to coach. So um, it's like it's it's a great fit because you know he works with the guards. So they'll be able to, if AJ comes back, work with him and Jermaine and then Trey Hannibal and all these guys that they're able to develop and then take another step forward too. And um, from a recruiting standpoint, he's he's a good recruiter. Um, it's a lot easier, I would imagine, 
um, to recruit to the SEC to South Carolina than it would be to recruit to St. Louis or um, Chicago State or East Tennessee State, where he's been uh, in the past. Um, so that'll help him on the recruiting trail. He's a good recruiter. Gives South Carolina some ties to a couple basketball hotbeds with being the St. Louis area, Kansas City. Um, being he was in Chicago, is from Chicago, so he gives them some Chicago ties and um, has recruited South Carolina's kind of what Frank called pocket as well. Um, so that certainly helps with um, recruiting and gives them a few areas, and they're slowly building to where they have coaches that can recruit specific areas um, and recruit them well, whether that's, you know, Frank in um, the Northeast or South Florida, um, Bruce Shingler in the Carolinas and D.C., uh, Chuck Martin in somewhat of the Midwest and uh, the Northeast, obviously, and then obviously now Will Bailey with Chicago and then St. Louis and, and some of the Eastern Seaboard. So uh, pretty well-rounded, and um, I think it's a really, really good fit for what South Carolina is trying to do. I'm glad you took it to the recruiting angle. That's where I wanted to go as well because you hire someone that, again, it's it's different in basketball than football. And my instinct, just because I grew up in Columbia, South Carolina, is to kind of think about everything as football first and the way that football does things is, is sort of being the norm in basketball. It's it's I won't say the opposite, but it's just very, very different in a lot of ways. Now, and if South Carolina, if the football team were to hire somebody from a a program of similar pedigree to St. Louis relative to South Carolina, I think a lot of people would be like, well, what, what, what are you doing? You, you can't, you can't come and, you know, recruit in the sec and, and, you know, do all these things, whether or not that's right or wrong. And obviously all coaches, well, most coaches start out, you know, at smaller places anyway. So there, there has to be a progression there and there has to be some, some room for that growth. But just in general, like if South Carolina, instead of hiring Mike Bobo had hired as uh, as Wes Mitchell and I wanted Carolina to do like, some guy from D3 football that was just like really avant-garde with his like play calling and play design and was just like super progressive and basically just called football plays like an NCAA video game. I, I think that would have made Wes and me happy and then probably nobody else. I don't know. That probably would have made you happy too. That seems like something you would like. But Oh, yeah. My nerd brain would love it. Yeah. But point is, I think maybe, I think maybe people that think about football or people that are Within the game of football, there seems to be more conservatism with, with, you know, specifically hires in the way that they think about, you know, the development and the progression of the game. This seems like something that basketball people would allow themselves to be a little bit more excited about because of what you mentioned. The football part of me says, okay, this is a guy that's been at, like I said, St. Louis, LaSalle, East Tennessee State, Maine, Chicago State. He doesn't know what it takes to recruit in the SEC. But the other part of that is, hey, if he was able to recruit at those places, he's certainly going to be able to recruit now that he's at a bigger program with better facilities um, and, 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 you know, like a little bit of momentum. Obviously, last year it was, was kind of weird and we don't know exactly how it ended. But I, I think the I, I think there's reason to be optimistic about the immediate future of the basketball program just because of the talent that you're bringing in and some of the flashes that you've seen. And, I mean, you, you think about a couple of Gamecocks that are going to be – I mean, the scenario is Thornwell, obviously, SEC Player of the Year. And then in the year since then, you have two guys that are going to be participating in the Orlando restart because they're on – good NBA teams and Brian Bowen playing for the Pacers just a little bit here and there. And then PJ Dozier, who's become a, you know, a solid rotation player for the Denver Nuggets, one of the best teams in the Western conference. So you see all that and then you really kind of project some forward momentum. So all that to say, you bring in somebody who's proven that he can recruit at those other places and you give him better facilities and, you know, a, a bigger, 
more name brand program. And I, I think that's something that you can get excited about and expect to project relatively well. And uh, you already touched on this too, but I, I really wanted to touch on this because as much as we've talked about recruiting not being so localized in the game of basketball, having those ties to somewhere, I mean, like Chicago, like holy cow, Chicago. If, if you have ties and relationships in Chicago, that is a big, big, big deal. Same with, I mean, not that Maine, I don't know if Maine's like a huge basketball state, but when you have a little bit more access to the Northeast, I think all these things are just good. It, it's it's basically giving yourself more pipelines is how I think about it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that's the thing is that Frank likes to recruit. You obviously want to recruit your state first and, and, and recruit guys in your state first, but you know, Frank loves to pull players from the Northeast because he's coached up there. Um, they love to pull players from South Florida. And um, in basketball, like in football, when you're when you have a staff hiring, you look at ties to your geographical area. So when Will Muschamp being an offensive coordinator, he went and pulled Mike Bobo, who obviously has ties to the geographical area. Same with uh, Tracy Rocker. Same with uh, Joe Cox. So you recruit to the geographical area in basketball. There's no real geographical area. Um, you recruit pretty much, I mean, uh, the entire country if you have good enough players. So uh, to get a guy that has ties to two of the bigger hotbeds of basketball talent in that St. Louis, Kansas City area, um, and then Chicago uh, to pair with his ties to the Northeast where Frank and Chuck Martin already have ties, and Bruce English ties in the D.C. area, I mean, that's, that's huge. So um, I think recruiting is going to be a good fit. I'm excited to see what he's going to be able to do with um, kind of the, the resources he has now in South Carolina. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, he's replacing Perry Clark. We, we talked a lot about Perry Clark a couple weeks ago during our last podcast, and he was someone that was, in, in a lot of ways, the, the mastermind behind of behind a lot of the schemes that South Carolina runs. Now, obviously, you know, this, this all comes from Frank Martin, but – by all indications, I mean he he was he was the scheme guy. Now you mentioned Coach Bailey, a, a pretty varied skill set, good developer, a uh, good recruiter, good at developing the relationships on the recruiting trail. But is that torch that Perry Clark had of sort of being the scheme guy going to be passed to, um, you, you know, either like one of the other assistants? Is it going to be passed to Shingler? Is it going to be passed to Martin? I, I don't I don't imagine that Bailey would come in and necessarily be that guy right away, especially if it's not kind of foremost in his skill set, or is that something that all all the assistants are now going to have to band together to try to replace what Perry Clark did schematically? I mean, I think Bailey's a a phenomenal scouting report guy, and I think he's really good at figuring out tendencies, and um, I think he's really, really good at that. But I also think Chuck Martin and Bruce Shingler are really good at that too, and I think Bruce has made a really big jump over the last couple years um, to being able to, uh, help Frank and, and install some scouting reports. And um, I think it's going to be kind of all three, but I mean, Bailey's no slouch in that regard either. I mean, he's a really, really good scouting report um, guy, and he's going to fit in well with what, what Chuck and Bruce both like to do too. Um, obviously we're still in the middle of a shutdown. So so everything's uh, still a little bit up in the air. And, and I don't remember you mentioned the state last time and I just am dumb and forget these things. Uh, so I don't know when exactly they can resume formal basketball activities um i know it's sooner rather than later but you know what what do you know of the, of the contact that's been had have they been able to have zoom meetings is he going to be able to introduce himself to the team already is it just kind of you know phone calls texts whatever or is there going to be some 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 way in like the near future that they'll be able to formally introduce him to the team 
Yeah, so I don't think he's going to start until July 1, um, the fiscal year begins, just as kind of a budgetary thing. But um, I'm sure they'll introduce him then, talk to the players, um, introduce him to some of the guys they have signed, committed, and uh, he'll get to recruit right after that. Uh, I know they're expected back on campus mid-July um, to begin all their testing. They kind of push the date back a little bit on that. Um, but mid-July is kind of the date, uh, kind of the time frame. They'll begin on-court stuff. Uh, I want to see the NCAA approve that July 20th, and then they'll go up until school starts with that too, um, just because obviously um, they don't want to have players have to go back home and then come mm-hmm. back getting virus again or transmitting the virus to somebody else. Right. Now, in some ways, that, that should be a lot easier to manage because you're only talking about, you know, 15 guys plus assistants and, you know, coaches and training staff and things like that. So hopefully it'll be a little bit easier to manage that than it has been with football, which by all indications, there have been football programs around the country, you know, Texas and Clemson and a couple other places that have reported positive COVID-19 tests. I would imagine that most college football programs that have returned to campus have at least a positive COVID-19 test. We haven't heard that from South Carolina. And I guess you just have to assume that that no news is good news there and that even if there have been that all the protocols in terms of quarantine and isolating have been followed and, and, and been sort of put into good practice. Uh, but it's nice from the basketball perspective that you're going to have the football team kind of going in and serving to to kind of give you a, a trial run. And, and, okay, well, when you bring guys back, this is this is what we did and this is what worked and this is what didn't. So hopefully it'll be a little bit easier. Um, and, again, I, I think even easier just because you're talking about a, a smaller group of people and I imagine a lot of the protocols for the basketball team coming back are going to be similar to uh, those protocols that the football team has been required to follow for the last couple weeks yeah oh absolutely and they're going to sanitize everything and they'll get all their tests done before they can even step foot on a court and they'll be potted and quarantined together however you want to talk about it and um, yeah I mean it'll be a lot of what it'll be very very similar to how football looks and football is going to be a very big guinea pig to what um Basketball is going, both basketball teams are going to be doing. Yeah, good. That that's the word that I was looking for. Guinea pig. Thank you for that. Um, yeah. So that'll uh, that'll start hopefully, hopefully middle of July, and that's uh, a little less than a month away that we'll actually have uh, basketball players reporting to campus. And um, I guess right now it's it's going to be everybody. It's going to be Seventh Woods. It's going to be AJ Lawson. It's going to be everybody that we're expecting. Uh, but in terms of uh, other news, since we last potted, um, the NBA has officially resettled on the date of the NBA draft. And with that, the early withdrawal date has also been set for October 6th. Uh, Now, this was maybe not specifically, but this is about what we anticipated. And we sort of played out a scenario for, you know, what happens if it is a little bit closer to the start of of the college basketball season than would maybe be comfortable. But again, at this point, if it's October 6th, there's no reason that A.J. Lawson can't come back. Frank Martin sounds like he's completely expecting him to come back in the middle of July and work out and go through preseason camp and prepare as if he were going to be coming back to the University of South Carolina for the 2020-2021 season. Um, but now that the date is set, um, does this provide any clear picture for what we think will happen with A.J. Lawson? I mean, it's going to be interesting. I mean, there's a very real scenario that Lawson decides to keep his name in the draft, at least through getting arriving on campus and be working out with the team while still having his name in the pool. So um, that'll be an interesting dynamic. Um, do I still anticipate Asia Lawson back on campus and in a Gamecock uniform next year? Yes. But you just never know. And um, it's going to be interesting to see when he ultimately makes his decision because he has been meeting with teams. And 
I mean, he's he's in talks, and at this point, a lot of these guys understand and know where they kind of fall mm-hmm. on draft boards. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how long it takes guys to really officially make their decisions on on when to come back, and then AJ Lawson included. This is really kind of getting to minutia and hypothetical specifics, but if AJ Lawson does stay in the NBA draft and does end up getting drafted, I imagine it wouldn't be until the middle or late second round, just based on his, just based on his production. I mean, I think someone that would want to take a chance on him is someone that's not going to need him to come in and contribute right away. And that's going to be a team that's drafting at the back end of the draft because they're probably pretty good. And the thing that I think becomes interesting about this, as much as we said, yeah, you know, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be unusual for a lot of these guys because you're not going to have the opportunity to go to a lot of these facilities and work out in person for these teams and develop those relationships and you know have the interviews and do some of the things that will maybe help you stand out against what was, you know, frankly an underwhelming sophomore year or yeah, sophomore year? Yeah, it was a sophomore year. Yeah. For uh for AJ I don't know why I forgot that for a second. Um underwhelming sophomore year for AJ Lawson, you know that that's how you sort of that's sorry how you sort of hedge against that. But now, since we have the NBA coming back, the teams are going to be headed to Orlando in about two weeks. I think it's that first or maybe second week of July, July 7th. So whether that's the first or second week of July, I think that's the date that they're going to start heading back to Orlando. So the teams aren't going to be there. They're not going to be in their facilities. They're they're going to be down in Orlando. And then you're certainly not going to have the opportunity. And and by the time you have to, you know, make that decision that the, you know, playoffs will just be ending. I think the potential last date of the NBA Finals would be like October 13th or 14th, maybe something like that. It won't be any, well, it can't be any later than that. So, you know, I guess maybe there'll be opportunities for teams that have gone home, but it's just a couple days. So basically when we were playing it out, it's like, Hey, you you can't have workouts, but maybe if you can later in the, later in the year before the draft, you know, if the season just gets canceled, if they can't finish, but things start to open back up again, like you can go have those workouts. It still seems like, even though basketball is going to be played, even though the NBA season is going to have an ending to it, there's not really going to be any more opportunity for him to go and work out for those teams in person. So I, I, I can't imagine that his draft prospects are overly going to change between now and October 6th. Yeah, and it, it's just a matter of, you know, and, and Frank said it best, and I agree with him, if an NBA team wants to keep having meetings with you, wants to keep talking to you and, and having conversations, why not at least, Maintain, keep the option open and still take these meetings with these guys and then talk to them and figure out what you need to do to be better for, you know, if you decide to stay keeping the draft or if, you know, you come back. So it makes sense for him to stay in the draft. It's not like he's having to travel every weekend or every other day to different places. He can still take these Zoom meetings and still talk to these guys and kind of figure out his next steps. And, I mean, it does no one any harm mm-hmm. in staying in the draft right now. And, um that's kind of, I think, where things stand right now. Do you have any specific sense for some of the feedback that he's gotten? Again, not specific workouts, but just from any teams that he's been in contact with. And do you know specifically what teams he's been in contact with? I don't know the teams um, or any kind of specifics in conversation, but I know, I mean, in talking with AJ before the season ended, um, and I'm sure it'll be a lot of the same from the NBA coaches. He talked about consistency a lot. Um he wasn't very consistent um, just in terms of me watching him he needs to be able to kind of create his shot a little bit better off the dribble, get to the rim a little bit more, um, be more consistent on the defensive end. Uh, but he's got, I mean, when you're talking in terms of potential, he has first round NBA potential. 
And now it's just a matter of tapping into it and playing more consistently to, you know, have that potential realized on the court. Uh, last year there were times when it just made more sense for South Carolina to go with other options, and we, we saw them do that. Not always uh, – it wasn't always successful when South Carolina, like, went away from AJ because I, I think ultimately it was just better to – to have him on the floor just because he can, you know, even when he wasn't playing well, he could flash it. Was it the, gosh, what what game was it? Was it Kentucky maybe? He, he was on a, just like a terrible scoring drought um, and then hit a bunch of threes at the end of the game that were, like, helpful. It, it's not like it necessarily clinched the game. Anyway, I, I always believed that it was important to have him on the court, but there were times that South Carolina was comfortable going away from him. I, I think they're going to be even more comfortable doing that as Jermaine Cousinard has emerged as the real number one option for South Carolina right now. You know, Keyshawn Bryant will hopefully have, you know, a full offseason to completely recover, to get confidence, you know, back in just his athleticism and, and, and you know, everything that seemed like it was lacking from his game last year that, that seemed, you know, fr- frankly, mostly mil- mental because it's probably hard to come back from an injury as quickly as he did, and just be expected to be as explosive as he was his freshman year. So we expect that to come back. You're obviously adding Seventh Woods into the mix and Trey Hannibal uh, with a year of experience under his belt and you know getting smarter and just getting better as a basketball player. There's going to be a lot more pressure on AJ, and I think it's going to be a lot easier for South Carolina to go away from him and not have to worry about sort of the, uh, the, the optics of it. Because, again, last year it's like, you can go away from him, and and maybe it'll it'll work every once in a while, and and maybe it's like, hey, are, are we actually better when AJ's not out there? But ultimately, he's still one of your better players. Right now, it's kind of marginal. If he doesn't improve from his sophomore year to his junior year, South Carolina could very realistically be a better team with him not on the court. If you have Seventh Woods, if you have Jermaine Cousinard, if you have Keyshawn Bryant, Wilden Zavek, and then you know maybe throw Jalen McCreary in there, maybe that is your best lineup. Um, and so I, I think it puts a lot of pressure on him, and I think ultimately. For a lot of reasons, it makes sense for him to come back because I don't think he's ready to play in the NBA. We've talked about that a lot. But just thinking about the other side, thinking about how much he has to gain by coming back to South Carolina, it's going to be a locker room. And specifically, you know, in terms of the ball handling, in terms of the playmaking, it's going to be as competitive at, at those spots, at like the one, at, at the primary playmaker and secondary playmaker, as like any time that I can ever remember at South Carolina, I don't remember them ever having this many good ball handlers and good playmakers. Yeah, this will be – if last year's team was the most talented, this will be the most – comparatively speaking, the most talented plus the most experienced team mm-hmm. AJ Lawson has ever been on at South Carolina. Yeah. Um, and that will help. And deepest. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that he has a – Jermaine Cousinard is your as, – as, vocal a leader as alpha male as like Sundarius Thornwelly as you can get entering the season. So roles are already set. Jermaine Kuznard, your your put up or shut up guy, the guy that's going to call you out. And then AJ Lawson doesn't have to be that guy. And you saw that last year where he felt and in his role at the beginning of the year was to be the guy and it didn't go as well as maybe other people would have hoped. Mm. And when you have these set roles in place already in June and July, you spend the entire offseason settling into them and getting comfortable with the chemistry of it. Um, and that helps you not lose to Boston, not lose to Stetson, not lose to these people. Um, these non-con games that have really hurt South Carolina in the past. So, um, yeah, this is coming back. AJ Lawson's I mean, going to be a very, very good player for this team, but it's not like it's going to be 
you know, the Ben Simmons LSU team where right. you're expecting Ben to go out there and if Ben doesn't score 30, we don't win kind of thing. Mm-hmm. You know, A.J. Lawson's not going to have to go out there and put up 25 and 10 every night. He's just going to have to go out there, and, and if Jermaine can give you 15 or 17, if, if A.J. can give you 13 or 14, if Seventh can give you eight, if Justin Manai can give you like 10 or 11, Keyshawn Bryant give you 10 or 11, then you're starting to feel like you have a pretty good team at that point where it's not just one dude carrying the load. And, and that's what next year's team is going to look like with or without A.J. The only thing that worries me in terms of the, I guess, different ways the season could play out you know, with all that in mind, is that the only concern I would have, and I don't have any indication that AJ is this guy. It doesn't seem like he is. I mean, he's, if anything, he kind of has the opposite problem where he's happy to kind of float through a game rather than just force it. But if he sees next year as an opportunity to to stand out and like, all right, I, I need to go and I need to score 20 points a game, doesn't really matter what it takes. And he's just, you know, pushing a little bit too hard. I, I could see that, you know, maybe being a problem. But again, that doesn't necessarily seem like his his personality, but I guess that's one way that this could play out. The other scenario, as I sit here and think about it, is what's best for South Carolina is obviously going to be best for AJ because, you know, the better South Carolina is, the the better they will do and the more exposure they will get, the more people talk about them, you know, more national games and, um, you know, maybe even a tournament run and possibly a deep tournament run and all that would be better, you know, for, for anybody on South Carolina's team that has NBA aspirations, which is, you know, going to be Jermaine, it's going to be AJ, I, I don't know who else uh, right now, but that kind of exposure is going to be invaluable. And maybe maybe it will be the case that the guy that we thought was, you know, the franchise cornerstone for South Carolina midway through his freshman year in AJ Lawson, what if what if it turns out that he's actually just a really, really good, maybe even overqualified role player? And that the best case scenario for him and and subsequently for South Carolina is that he is when I say the number two, I don't even mean like the number two playmaking option, but what if Jermaine Cousinard is the best player on the team and AJ just needs to kind of be his sidekick? Because even last year when he was slumping, I didn't allow myself to think like that. I was like, AJ's the best player. He's just not playing like the best player. What if he's not the best player and he and he just kind of embraces that role and becomes essentially just kind of like a three and D wing sort of sidekick for Jermaine Cousinard? Is, is that a, I mean, how realistic is that scenario? I mean, I think, the scenario, especially if Jermaine wins the starting point guard spot next year, is that Jermaine's your, your number one option, and then AJ's the number two, and then it's Jermaine's job to get the ball to AJ. Um, that being said, AJ Lawson is your number two. is not a bad number two. That is a tournament team number two there. Um, so it's just one of those things where y- you never really know. I could definitely see a scenario where Jermaine Koo starts your best player and, and maybe turns into your best NBA prospect next year um, just because of how good he was last year taking over and now obviously being another year older and uh, in his third year of the program. And then I 100% could see him being your best player on next year's team. And and then I wonder if that doesn't end up being just a a better path to him becoming a pro, like rather than the first option that I played out where he, you know, shoots nine of, uh, let's say like, Eight of twenty every game. What's that by percentage? That's four. That's yeah. That's that's forty percent. Yeah. So that's not great. If he just shoots, if he shoots eight of twenty every game and scores twenty points a game, as opposed to maybe you know shooting, I don't know, six of ten most games and shoots a really high percentage from three and and rebounds and and plays good defense and things like that. I, I wonder if that ends up being a a better scenario where NBA 
where NBA teams will look at him and say, hey, you know, this is a guy that had a relatively lower usage. We don't expect to, you know, draft this guy and him to come in and, and be a star, but he's proven that he can accept that sort of secondary role. He's a good spot-up shooter. He'll, he'll still be engaged even when he's not, when, when he doesn't have the offense running through him, when he's not, you know, the primary defender. He's still going to stay engaged in those things. If he can improve that, I think that might be the best path to. I mean, because he was never going to be like a star, like a, you know, I, I don't think he was like necessarily an all, like NBA All Star level player anyway. But it's it's just so hard to project those things because most guys that end up being stars in college do not end up being stars in the NBA just because there's you know a dozen of those guys and and one of them is you know LeBron James and one of them is Kevin Durant. It's just it's really hard to come by that. So even guys that are fantastic in college end up being role players in the pros. So it's easy to overlook some of the role players in college and say, well, if they were role players in college, then what are they going to be in the pros? But I think that could really be it for AJ. Just be a high percentage guy, be an efficient guy, be a dialed in guy, use that athleticism, you know, the opportunities that you get in transition, you know, of course, take advantage of those. Um, But I I feel like that could, that could end up being a better scenario for him to just settle into that number two role rather than trying to be a, you know, a one A or a one B and, and and forcing it and continuing to be an inefficient offensive player. Yeah, and I think that Frank and, and that staff's going to do a good job of managing expectations for AJ and not letting him get too um, necessarily caught in his own head if he comes back in terms of feeling like he has to go out there and put up mm-hmm. 40 points a game. Um, but, you know, I think, and you've seen it before, is that when Frank's teams are good, it's never one guy doing the heavy lifting. Um mm-hmm. You know, even on that Final Four team, some days it was – a lot of days it was some Darius Stonewell, but P.J. Dozier had good games. And um, Dwayne Notice had good games. And Chris Silva had good games. And Mike Kosar had, you know, some good games in there too. And um, it's it's going to be a lot of guys. If South Carolina is going to be good next year, it's going to be, you know, one guy doing a lot of work and then a lot of other guys playing big roles. And now mm-hmm. that's what I think the offseason's for is in this on-court stuff is determining who's going to be your number one option um, when all, when when the season starts and then, you know, 15 games into the year, you might change it up a little bit. Yeah, and ultimately probably just end up being a, a multi-headed dragon like was like was the best-case scenario of the team last year and, again, weren't always able to uh, to optimize that, but at least, uh, at least in theory. But, again, if last year was the most talented team that Frank Martin's had at South Carolina, I, I think this team will, will pretty comfortably – I guess wrench that title, which is which is interesting, and the competitive depth on this team I think is very exciting. Um, but anyway, all this to say that AJ Lawson, I think we were still expecting to come back. Uh, the draft deadline or the draft withdrawal deadline is uh, predictably a, a lot later than than it normally is. October sixth is going to be that date, but it seems like AJ Lawson is expected to be back with the team, doing everything geared towards the South Carolina basketball season until such time as he actually has to officially decide. And I think Colin and I would both be very surprised if he does uh, go through with letting himself go through the draft process completely this year. And, and hopefully that is a, a good thing for the South Carolina basketball team. Last thing I wanted to get to today before we get out of here, Colin, because I, I saw this thread on Twitter, and I really appreciated this. And th- this is not the first that I have seen of you doing this. You're you're very you're very uh, you know. You have a lot of self-awareness. You know what your what your skills are. You're very good at a lot of things, and one of the things that you are best at, and I appreciate it. You know, you don't need to be humble about the things that you're good at. Just own it. Just say, you know, I am I am good at this. This is one of these things that just comes naturally to me, and I, I don't know. I don't like false humility, so I appreciate that you just own it. But 
Somebody posted a thread on uh, a, a thread on Twitter asking for people, members of the media specifically, to post some of their best accidental photo bombs. And Colin Taylor, you are, I mean, just in a category by yourself. You're 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 photo bombing press com not press conference. Uh, I, I guess like what do you call those things where we just Yeah, the the little gaggles where everyone just sticks a mic in a coach or player's face. Um, You always seem to be in the background of the most important shots that get passed around Twitter. And I I have a lot of questions. Some of them you you may not be able to answer because this is just something you're naturally good at and and you don't want to reveal your secrets. But I, I will ask you to start. Do you have some sense of which people's videos get used the most and passed around Twitter, and then you subsequently strategically position yourself opposite said photographer? Allow me to break it down for you. So a lot of times, I would not consider my self-awareness to be elite, first of all. Um, I think this is something I'm accidentally very good at, is the way I would describe it. Uh, so th- when they have these gaggles, especially if it's in the new office building or something, you're sitting down or you're, even if it's at practice, you're doing something else and watching something else and they bring the coach over and, um, or a player over. And usually I'm one of the last two or three guys from the print side of things. Cameras usually take up the first little bit because the TV guys need the better angles, but I'm always one of the last guys to come in. So I just fill in one of the spots and it's always just happens to be across from a camera mm. And I've told myself to be cognizant of it, but sometimes you get caught up in thinking about what you're going to say or listening to whatever the person's saying. And then mm-hmm. all of a sudden you have yourself giving, you know, RBF on, uh, <laughs> <laughs> on you know, behind Will Muschamp or Frank Martin or uh, Stephen Montag or whoever, whoever the hell else is. Uh, <laughs> Stephen Montag, a- that's a... That's a random one. Was that like a particularly egregious RBF caught on oh, film? Yeah. I, I tweeted it yesterday, and <laughs> I look as angry as I've ever looked. And I can tell you why in that photo. Absolutely tell you why in that photo, because that was right after Belk Bowl practice. I woke up at like 4 in the morning to drive up to Charlotte to be able to get there uh, for practice starting. It was freezing cold, um, and I was out there all morning. And I was just freezing, and that is why I look so angry there. <laughs> I just looked. Y'all, y'all go look on his Twitter, at Colin Taylor, uh, Colin with a Y. Um, it's amazing. It's, it's even better because you're a little bit out of focus because obviously the, the photographer was trying to take a picture of Stephen Montak. But, I mean, you, you can tell that you look cold. You have a jacket. The collar's kind of flipped up around your neck, and, and you can tell that your arms are kind of squeezed close to your side yeah. trying to keep yourself warm. Um that's amazing. Yeah, so so this is this is the uh, your response to the thread, and I guess I just kind of scrolled over that one yesterday. But the other ones, the the first one, I, I can't even see who is in the middle of the gaggle. That was Will gaggle. That was Will Muschamp gaggle. Okay, well you just you look you look kind of annoyed, but but also very skeptical of, of whatever's happening on the other side of the gaggle. And then there's another one where it looks like you're standing like under, I don't know, that's under a neat. bridge or something, that's where Will Muschamp's walking by, and, and you again look look very skeptical. Yeah. Well, the problem is that sometimes I'm very not good at, and this is a blessing and a curse. Um, I'm not great at hiding my emotions. <laughs> um, it's something that I get from my mother who has admittedly said, 
I'm never good at I, she has a terrible poker face and I have a terrible poker face. Gotcha. So um, if someone asks the question, I don't necessarily like um, <laughs> that's, that's the face that I give them mm. uh, in that first photo was what I think was happening. There. Okay. Well, I, I won't ask uh, who was asking what question and you probably don't remember, but it, it's, yeah. it's really funny because I mean, you and I obviously have gotten to know each other pretty well over the last couple of years, but for all the people that just follow you on Twitter and, you know, maybe, haven't listened to this podcast yet, and so don't understand your personality. If you just, if you just, you know, read your writing, um, although your writing is, you know, generally pretty witty, um, so maybe people can pick up on it. But I guess if people just follow you, just kind of for the news stuff, and then see these pictures of you, they probably think that you're really grumpy and very curmudgeonly, but you're actually like one of the like most upbeat, happy people um, that I know. And so it's just so funny to see this this side of you come out in, in all these photo bombs. And it's uh, this is from uh, Chris Gross, who uh, who initially tweeted it out. It said, "What's your favorite sports related unintentional photo bomb picture of yourself?" And uh, you've just got a whole album's worth. And it, it's amazing. Again, we I think we've talked about it not on this podcast, but just you know, your your innate ability, as you put it, because it's nothing you practice, but your innate ability to just show up in the backgrounds of of all these of all these shots. But it's just so funny that they're always. <laughs> You're just, I, I guess you're just focused, but it's just so funny because it's just not at all you. No, it's, and it's the weirdest thing is because I never intended to be good at it, but all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're half a step behind, um, getting to a gaggle. And then all of a sudden you're in the background looking like you're just pissed off at the world. Yep. That's why I, uh, mostly stay out of the gaggles. I, I couldn't, I couldn't bear to, to uh to be photographed with my with my RBF, which is a lot nastier than yours. So um, just be just be happy that yours still looks uh relatively pleasant. But anyway, I appreciate you uh you breaking that that down for us. Um, I think that'll do it for us today. Uh, for Colin, I'm Pearson. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to this and everything on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. And subscribe to GamecockCentral.com. Sports are coming back, and that's the best place to get all the breaking news, whether it's recruiting whether it's news from football workouts, whether it's players reporting you know, back to campus for basketball workouts, which, as Colin mentioned, will be starting in the middle of July, whether it's updates on A.J. Lawson, it's all on GamecockCentral.com, and you're like seriously really missing out if uh, you're not subscribed to GamecockCentral.com or the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. So go ahead and do that. Uh, follow Colin on Twitter, as I mentioned, at Colin Taylor to see lots of pictures of his RBF in the backgrounds of Gaggles. And, uh, Colin, we'll, we'll do this again soon next time we have some uh, breaking basketball news. Appreciate it, and good luck with the move on Thursday. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And if anyone wants to buy me pizza and beer to alleviate that, uh, please reach out to me on Twitter, and we can make that happen. DM him, at Colin Taylor. All right, thank you all so much for listening. We'll talk to you next time. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.